Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Good morning. I have a few I have a few faces, friendly faces in the audience, but I have seated Facebook with lots of friends, my best friends on there, my husband, my daughter. So there are friendly faces in the audience, and I love that. So give me grace for just a minute while I get myself set up here. Usually my husband is here to set me up, but he's not feeling well. So um, this was a day for me to grow muscles. I've never preached here without Brian. And first when he said, is it okay if I stay home? And I said, not an option. And then I said, well, it's an area for me to grow. (laughs) It's another area for me to be brave. So God, I just do thank you that uh, your Holy Spirit is in here with us. He lives within us. He is the power that raised Jesus from the grave. And he is the power that is within me today to speak your word with boldness. God, I pray that your truth would come alive today, that it would hit people, God. I thank you for bombs of revelation. God, that eyes would be opened, that they would see that each one has a calling, and God, you are telling them to go forth and take steps. God, let us learn from Abraham's touch-and-go journey of obedience to see your grace for imperfect people, and God, how you will just work through a surrendered heart, God. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm preaching my sermon through my prayer. So I do want to just welcome everyone, and I hope that you're doing well, safe in your homes. There is a handout if you're on um, Facebook, YouTube, there should be a handout referenced in the description. You can print that out later. It's going to have your cross references and also some of the important questions that um, there's a lot of questions. So this message is, I want it to provoke questions in your spirit that as we look at Abram or Abraham's life, depending on which um, part of his life we're looking at, as we look at his life, what can we learn? And I wanted to preach. I, I've, I don't teach on the New Old Testament very much. I'm a, a New Testament grace and hope and peace girl. But I was in Charlotte right before the lockdown started, and I was sitting in a chair reading my textbook. I'm studying Old Testament in seminary, and I'm reading the textbook, and I'm reading about Abram, and it just hit me that he just left all. And I knew that that was what I was supposed to preach about today. I wanted to bring a relatable sermon of of comfort and hope and peace in trying times. But what the Lord told me was that obedience is required in a pandemic too. Like just as obedience is required during famine, during war, obedience is required in a pandemic. So we need to look at Abram. Abraham and learn the lessons from his obedience. Because, you know, I know my comfort, I was going to bring some props today. I've survived the pandemic with chocolate. I can order chocolate from Amazon. I can order cookies from Costco, Instacart. They come to my door. My shopping, y'all know I have a penchant for shopping. CVS has become my place. This is a CVS shirt, $12.99, 30% off coupon, extra care bucks. I've now bought three outfits from CVS because that's the only place I've been. I can go to CVS and just happen to walk by the clothing. So CVS fashion all the way. (laughs) I've been surviving the pandemic with my jammy pants. You know, we're all at home. I see Brian at work and he's wearing his jammy pants. But obedience is required even now. So last week, Pastor Tom did share a very heavy sermon, a sermon about the direction that our world, our nation is headed in. And he he ended on, his sermon was called, The Highway to Holiness or Muddy Paths We Have to Choose. And he shared from Deuteronomy chapter 30, beginning with verse 19. And the context here is Moses Moses is speaking, and the Israelites are about to enter the land of Canaan. And he's talked for three chapters about blessings and curses. And in verse 19, he says, I call heaven and earth to witness to you this day against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessings and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live. 
you and your descendants. And if I had slides today, I would list this out because there's three points. He says three things. One, by loving the Lord your God. Two, by obeying his voice. And three, by holding fast to him. That holding fast, it was a clinging, a cleaving to your God. And then he says, for this is your life. This is your life. Love God. Obey him. Cling to him. This is your life. And the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. But I want to tell you, I'll just start by saying this is not a popular message. I've found that any time I write or speak about surrender and obedience, there's not a lot of feedback because people don't want to hear it. Like our flesh, we just want to hear grace. I'll tell you, I cussed three times this week. I did. I don't cuss, but my pain level was at a nine. And when your pain level's at a nine, like all of your filters are gone. But, you know, people want to hear about grace for your imperfections and God meets you where you're at. And that is all true. But obedience is also required. There's both. So obedience is tough. (laughs) A couple years ago in May 2018, I was driving home from a speaking engagement in Columbia, South Carolina. And I'm seeing all these billboards. I guess that's Interstate 20. I was heading east, and I'm seeing all these billboards that say MBA program, online school, graduate school. And I looked at one on the left side of the road, and no joke, it was an electronic one. It changed before my eyes, and it was like online graduate school. And by this point, I'm like, okay, you know, Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. It's like, God, are you speaking to me? And I eventually got over at a rest stop and just stopped. And I was like, okay, God, (laughs) I've seen all these things. Do do you want me to go to school? Because, y'all, I have no need to go to school. I've got two degrees. I'm not working in either of those fields. I'm, you know, I'm good. I don't need school. But I get home and I get a Charisma magazine that I had unsubscribed to a year ago. It was still coming for free. And here it is on the front, Charisma's Best Graduate Schools and Seminaries, right there in my mailbox. So I remember sitting in the Harris Teeter on a bench, applying to graduate school. For two years, I've been taking courses. Now, the tough part of obedience was a couple weeks ago, it's spring fever. Most of you know that I have a big cottage garden. This is the time to be in the garden. But instead of being in the garden, I've been writing, I think this is like a 10-page research paper with over 50 footnotes about Exodus. Obedience is tough. I don't want to be writing papers. I want to be in my garden. I want to be taking naps. But I am obeying God's voice. He said, go to school. I'm in school. I've already told Brian, if God says I need to get a doctorate, Brian and God need to have a talk. They need to duke it out because, <laughs> whoo, I don't think I want to stay in school for the next 10 years. Obedience is tough. We've all been in positions where God has impressed upon us something to do that we in our flesh did not want to do. My friend Pat Bradford that should be watching online today, uh, I think it was Easter weekend, God put on her heart to go on Facebook Live and to teach how you can take communion at home. Communion doesn't have to be something you do in a religious building. It is something you can do at home. So she was scared, but she felt the Lord said, do this on Facebook Live. She obeyed. Obedience is tough. So let's look at Abram. Now, I do want to just apologize for mixing up Abram and Abraham. The name changes in Genesis 17, but I may use it interchangeably. If it's before chapter 17, it was Abram. He changed his name in chapter 17. So a review of the book of Genesis. I've read the Bible cover to cover. I've been studying it almost 30 years. I'm not an expert. But if I could sum up the Bible in seven words, it's this. God wants to dwell with holy humans. From the first page to the last, it is the story of God trying so hard for humans to live holy lives and obey him so that God can just hang out with them. That is the purpose to me. Seven words, beginning to end, God wants to dwell with holy humans. 
And so we see God creates Adam and Eve. They sin. They get sin out of the garden. A few chapters later, we see Noah. And God says, I'm going to destroy the world, save your family. But then Noah's sons, they failed. We get up to chapter 11, and the first half is the Tower of Babel. And they said, let us make for ourselves a name. I think the biggest human sin is pride. <laughs> that is it. That is at the top. Let us make for ourselves a name. And Scripture says in Genesis 11, I don't have this reference here, but it says, so God scattered them over the whole earth. The second half of Genesis 11 talks about the descendants of Shem. Now, Shem was one of the three sons of Noah, and something I've learned in seminary, um, the Shemites later became known as the Semites, and that is why the Jewish people are known as Semitic. They were Shemites, Semites, Semitic. So we look at these descendants of Shem, And we end up with um, Abram. Let's see. I'm going to get to that in just a second. So we get to Shem. And at this point, God is still looking for someone who will be righteous. God is still looking. Adam and Eve blew it. Noah's sons blew it. The people at the Tower of Babel blew it. God is still looking for one person, one person who will do right and God hones in on this family that lived in Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, Chaldea was an area in Mesopotamia. It was the fertile crescent between the Tigris and the Euphrates River. Water was prevalent. There was agriculture. The land was fertile. Things grew. It was prosperous. There was trade. In Wilmington, like, the good part of town is like Mayfair and Landfall, like, Chaldee was like the landfall Wilmington of, of, of landfall or Mayfair of Wilmington. It was like the place to be, the place of commerce, the place of prosperity. That's where they were living. Now, why do you think God honed in on Abram? Like, was Abram, does it say he was living a holy life? Scripture, we're going to see in just a minute. There's no background information on Abram other than his family. That's the only background that we know. But I do know this, that Abram was human, which meant he had a penchant for sin just like we do. He had a penchant for doubt. He lied a little bit. He tried to do things his own way. He was an imperfect human like us, but God hones in and chooses him to continue God's story of wanting to dwell with holy humans. God chose Abram anyway. Why? What do you think, out of all the people of the earth, set Abram apart? I believe it was a heart that was willing to surrender and obey. There's nothing special about me. I am just as imperfect as the next person but my heart is set to obey. I believe Abram, that was his heart. God was looking for the heart. So as I talk about obedience today and you look at your life and you say, my gosh, I'm addicted. My gosh, I'm in bankruptcy. My gosh, I cheated on my husband. No matter what you've done, God is looking for your heart. He is looking for a heart that will just say, I surrender I will obey. He can use you. Doesn't matter what your past is. We don't know how Abram, excuse me, <clears throat> messed up before God called him. We don't know. But God is looking for a heart, someone to work through. It's your heart that trumps everything else. So let's look at this family tree of, of Terah. Genesis 11, 27 through 30, describes Abram's family. And this is all we know about Abram. I'm going to sum it up and say Terah was the father. He had three sons, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now, Haran died in Ur, and he was the father of Lot. So Lot was Abram's nephew. And we know Abram was married to Sarai. Her name gets changed, too. 
So my textbook said, the Bible is less concerned with the history of Abram than with his obedient response to God's claim. God had a claim on Abram's life. Excuse me, I'm going to do some polite throat clearing because of allergies. I'm so sorry. My niece, excuse me, if my nieces are watching, they're probably hoping I'm going to turgle or burp or something like that, which I've done before, twice as when I've been speaking. It happens. You were there, yes. So God is looking for a heart that will obey him. A scripture is 2 Chronicles 16, 9a. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Does it say strongly support the one whose faith is perfect? or the one who reads his Bible for 30 minutes every day, or the one who spends 10 minutes in prayer at 8 o'clock every night. No, the heart, the heart is what matters, the heart that is completely his. So Genesis 11, I'm getting ahead of myself, verse 31. Terah the father took, and I'm just going to summarize and say his family, They went out from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan, and they went as far as Haran and settled there. So, Jim, if you can put up the map of the ancient Near East. I've got just a couple slides today. The ancient Near East. I want you to get an idea of what it's like from Ur. So, Ur of the Chaldeans is on the bottom right of the screen. So from Ur to Haran, it's about 600 miles, 600 miles. So I've, given, I've made another slide. Jim, you can hit the second slide for comparison. So this is Google Maps from Savannah, let's see, Savannah, Georgia up to Nashville, Tennessee. It's around 600 miles. According to Google Maps, if you walk it, it's 164 hours of walking. Maybe they walk 10 hours a day. I don't know how long it took to walk with all the herds, but it's a lot of walking. So some questions that I thought of, why did they leave Ur? Like if I was living out in Mayfair or Landfall, I wouldn't want to go and move to Rocky Point or Burgall. You know, I would want to stay where everything I want is around me. There's the Starbucks, there's Michael's, there's Ulta, there's Belk. You know, I wouldn't want to leave, but they left. So I wonder, why did they leave? And then the second question is, why did they stop? Their destination was Canaan, and they stopped in Haran. Why did they stop? It says they were going to Canaan, and then it says they settled. Why did they settle? They didn't just stop. They just set out their tents and made a home in Haran. That is not where they were going. They stopped and they settled. I can relate to to Tara. He settled and he died in Haran. He never made it to Canaan. He never made it. Now, I'm standing on this stage. There was a day in my life when I said I never wanted to stand on this stage again. I said it. I can't remember if I said it in my spirit or out loud, but I said it. because I had taught some things and there was some blowback. And I'm sensitive, like comments don't roll off my back like a duck, they get into my heart and I get in the fetal position and it's, it's bad. And there were some negative comments and I remember the last day, the eighth week I was supposed to teach and there were some really bad storms, you know, tornado warnings and all this and Pastor Tom called and he said, you know, I, I think I want to cancel the service. And I was like, good, I think that's the right call. And he said, well, we can rearrange everything and you can do the last lesson next week. And I was like, no, I'm good. You just go ahead and do what you want to do. Because I never wanted to stand on this stage again. Never, never. What stops us from going to Canaan? to achieving our destinations. There are things that will come up to oppose us and stop us. Why did they stop in Haran? Why do we stop? Is it fear? 
Is it the opinions of others? Is it no one believing in you? My friends that are watching on Facebook, I have a team of people that believe in me. (laughs) You know, when somebody believes in you, you you can make it to Canaan. If there are people that say, I'm with you, I am in your corner, I believe in you, I'm praying for you, I'm so thankful for that support, so thankful. There's opposition, there's lack of resources, you run out of food, you run out of money, you run out of water, you know, in, in, on, in their travels, maybe they were running out of water and water was in Haran. Pride can keep you from achieving your destination. If you, if you let your head get too big, God will say we're done. <laughs> Cut you off. Lack of faith. So I want to ask, have you ever ditched your goals because the journey was too hard? Have you ever been on your way to Canaan? You've had a vision. You've had a dream. You've had a goal. And you were on your way. And you stopped in Haran. And you settled. Have you stopped and have you settled? Have you settled for second best? So what's your Haran? Can you remember the place where your dreams died, where you stopped and settled and put down roots and you were not where you were supposed to go? It happens. And I want to tell you that we each have a Canaan. We each have a calling. I've taught on this before. God has a purpose for every person, a place that he has taken you, a journey that you're on. God has called you out of Ur. Why did you stop and settle in Haran? Why did you stop? It will require a painful obedience to get to your destination. And that's just the truth. I'm just going <laughs> to tell you, obey, obeying God is not easy. It takes work. You know, I've done it with graduate school, but my husband would say there's been a lot of complaining. Like, I've obeyed, but I've not, um, I've not obeyed the Scripture that says do everything without grumbling and complaining, because there is a lot of grumbling and complaining. I'm <laughs> just being honest. Obedience is painful. And I want to encourage you that you can get back on the road. And we're going to see, we're going to see how. Turn the page to Genesis 12. We're going to start with verse 1. I believe there are three different times in Genesis that are the big conversations between God and Abram, later Abraham. Genesis 12, 15, and I think 17. Now the Lord said to Abram, verse 1, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. So you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, And the ones who curse you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Hallelujah. I am a living testimony to that. My migraines got better when I saw a world-renowned Jewish headache specialist. All the families of the world are blessed through that line of Abram. So the structure of God's command, the first thing he says is go forth. Leave what is comfortable, that's people and places. Leave your family, he said to Abram. Leave your father's house. Go forth. And then God says in return, I'm going to do great things for you. I'll bless you. I will use you to bless the earth. That is the whole purpose of God's calling is he wants to use you to bless the earth. He wants to use you, whether it's your prayer in your prayer closet, the meal you take to a neighbor, if it's the skills you have as an amazing sound crew that broadcasts a service that might encourage one person today. God wants to use you. God called Abram to leave behind that place of comfort. You know, there are pioneers who leave behind bad situations searching for something better. But Abraham 
was in the better, and God called him to go out to that strange land with strange people that he didn't know. That takes a lot of courage to leave behind what you know and to go to some place where you have no idea what it's like. I can relate to that. I am a planner. And when I went to Costa Rica and didn't know what I would have, what I could take, that was so hard. But Abram left. Go forth. God calls us to leave behind places of comfort and security. So I have a story. I have my twin nieces. They've been here at this church with me before. We've done some traveling together. And God called me to help them because they needed to achieve some goals in their life, getting driver's licenses, diplomas. And I was in a position where I had an empty nest. Um, We have friends in this church that own a driving school. I have a great relationship with Cape Fear Community College because my children both went there. It was an area where I could help. But my flesh said no. My flesh said I am tired and I am busy and I hate to cook. And if they come here, I'm going to have to cook. And my flesh said, I don't want to drive to Charlotte and pick them up because I take a nap every afternoon. And I'll be honest, I've napped in Whiteville a few times on my way to Charlotte and back. My flesh said, I'm an introvert. Y'all, for introverts, pandemics and stay-at-home orders aren't that bad. I mean, I'll just be honest. I'll just be honest. There are some ways I'm kind of enjoying it. And I am staying connected. I am staying connected. But I'll just say for an introvert, it's like, oh, I don't have to see anybody again today. Woo, I love it. But my introverted flesh said, no, I don't want to bring anyone into my home. But God, February 13th, and my utmost for his highest, if you struggle with surrender to God, buy this devotional because it'll put you in your place every day. Just when you think you're all that, it will say you are nothing and your life is all owned by Christ. But Oswald Chambers said, so long as there is a human being who does not know Jesus Christ, I am his debtor to serve him until he does. And God just said, will you help those twins? Will you bring them into your home for the gospel? I couldn't argue with that. I could not argue with that. But my point is, our flesh does not want to obey. We are human. We don't want to take those risks. Abram did it. He left comfort and security. He left behind prosperity, fertile land to go to the place God called him. So what is your er? What's that place, that safe, comfortable place that you love that you don't want to step out of? Maybe it's stepping before a group of people and speaking if you're afraid of speaking in public. Maybe it's sharing the gospel with a relative. That's tough. Maybe it's giving a big check when right now the world financial markets are crazy. What places of comfort and security is God calling you to leave behind? There might be jobs and places and even people that you have to leave behind. Sometimes we have to sever relationships. Sometimes God will do the severing for us. I know for me, there was a spiritual uh, mother that I had, and there came a point where God just... I'm a gardener, when you get a big clump, maybe a hosta, when you get a big hosta and you want to split, you can just get your shovel and and split it down the middle. I keep a big butcher knife in the garden and I just slice those things in half and then I plant them separately and then they each put down roots and grow. God had to sever a close relationship in order for me to grow. Where is he commanding you to go, and what promises are you believing about it? Because Abram got not only a command, but a promise. Go, and I'll bless you. There are blessings in the hard journey of obedience. With my nieces, I have an amazing relationship with them now that I wouldn't have had if we hadn't spent so much time together. Genesis 12, 4 through 5. 
So Abram went forth. He obeyed as the Lord had spoken to him. Lot went, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. I love that. They left Haran. <laughs> they left. <laughs> he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarah, his wife, Lot, his nephew, all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Now what I love about this is Genesis 12, 4 says, so Abram went forth. It looks like Abram of his own accord made a choice and he went. But if you look down in Genesis, um, a few chapters over, Genesis 15, 7, and this is where God is talking to Abram and he identifies himself. Genesis 15, 7, he says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. So it made me wonder, did Abram go forth on his own accord? Or as Genesis 15, 7 says, did God bring him out? Which happened? I believe it's both. I don't think Abram could have gone forth and obeyed without supernatural help. When God calls you to do something hard, he gives you an empowering grace. He gives you supernatural help. The only reason I can stand on this stage is because Holy Spirit lives in me and empowers me to even stand here and speak. It is a partnership with God. Philippians 12, let's just look at um, verse 13. Philippians 12, 13. It says, God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So God's always working in you. I think the version I memorized it in said, God is always working in you to make you willing and able to obey his own purpose. I need some help to make me willing and able to obey. Like this morning, I had all these cute props I wanted to bring, and God said no. I had to leave them at home. I had all my CVS outfits to show. I had my bag of Chick-fil-A cookies. I had my jammie pants, and God said no. I was like, oh, it is hard to obey. Truth, I was not going to share, just so y'all know. Ephesians 3, verses 7 through 8, and this is the Apostle Paul, starting with verse 7. And the context here, he's talking about the gospel. So where he says, of which I was made a minister, that's of the gospel. And then he says, he tells them how, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me. I'm looking at the, <laughs> I'm confusing myself. I think I have a typo. I'm going to read from up here. According to the working of his power. There we go. Verse 8, to me, the very least of all saints, this grace. What is the grace? It is an empowering, supernatural, Holy Spirit-filled grace. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Got the word out. Sometimes my brain switches to Spanish, and it's hard to say uh, multisyllabic words. And I don't have Brian here to help me with my pronunciation. Anything good you do, anything brave you do, anything admirable you do, it was because of God. Abram went forth. God helped him. It's a partnership. How do you partner with God? You surrender to him. You just, you just say, God, I'll go. You say, God, I'll do it. You can say, God, I don't want to, but I will anyway. God knows your heart. You just say, God, just like Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. You just surrender. So I want to look at a term in Genesis 15, 7 and 8. So the way God identifies himself to Abram, he says, I am the Lord. This is the verse we just looked at. That word Lord there is Yahweh or Jehovah. God says, I am the Lord, Yahweh, the self-existent one. But in verse 8, the way Abram replies, he says, 
O Lord God. So God just said, I am Yahweh. But Abram's reply there in the Hebrew, it says, O Adonai, Yahweh. Why did he include this term, Adonai? There's a textbook I've been reading for my Old Testament class called Exploring Our Hebraic Heritage. And this word Adonai, it explains what it means. So it's used in context of someone who's subordinate to someone else, like a master and a slave, or a parent and a child, a boss and an employee, someone who is um, subordinate. When you call someone Adonai, you're subject to that person in a submissive or dependent relationship. It means that person can exercise their authority over you. So in reference to God, this title Adonai is usually rendered as in English as Lord, and it points to the ruler of the universe to whom all creation is dependent and subject. All creation is subject to Adonai. And it's, it indicates the truth that God is the owner of each member of the human family, and he claims our unrestricted obedience. What it means is God can say go, and we need go. We need to go. If we call him Adonai, if we call him Lord, we are saying, I will submit my will to yours. Y'all, there are some things God has had me say. Look at me. This is my, oh, my Lord. There are some things God has had me say on this stage, live on Facebook and YouTube, that I have not wanted to say. But God has said, say them. And I have said, oh, I've, I've obeyed. I think I've obeyed everything. Not perfectly. I don't always say it right. But when you call God Lord, he better be your Lord. God was Abram's Lord. He was Abram's Adonai. Is God your Adonai? Is he your Lord? There's two names. There's God. You can call him God because he is God. He is Yahweh. That's his name. He's the self-existent one. But if you call him Lord... That's a relationship between you and him. If you call him Adonai, well, you need to stop and say, is he really my Adonai? Is he really my Lord? Is he really the boss and I'm the employee? Does he give the directions? Does he wear the pants in the family? You need to know. And I've got a little skit with Pastor Tom. Come on up, Pastor Tom. You know, Jesus said, many will say to me, Matthew 7, 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, 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 did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And Jesus says, verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And I believe you can't call Jesus Lord if he's not your Lord. So what if I walk up to Pastor Tom and I say, Pastor Willie, Pastor Willie, on Easter weekend on Facebook, I shared my testimony and shared the gospel. Pastor Willie, isn't that great? Pastor Willie, you don't even know my name. My name is Tom. I don't know you. On that day when you say to Jesus, Lord, Lord, what is he going to say to you in reply? Is he going to say, I am truly your Lord? Yes, I've always been your Lord. Yes, you obeyed me. You submitted my will, your will to me. You served me. Or is he going to say, I was never your Lord? Now, you can have a God. A lot of people believe in God. But do you have a Lord? Is Jesus your Lord? Adonai, God said, Oh, Adonai Yahweh. God was Adonai. 
You know, when we call Jesus Lord, we are acknowledging that he owns our life and that we will willingly obey him. A couple cross-references for you. And these are listed on the handout, just the reference. 1 Corinthians 6, 20. It says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Oh, I'm sorry, verse 19 through 20. Who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. You are not your own, verse 20, for you have been bought with a price. Jesus bought you when he shed his blood on the cross. He bought you. Matthew 16, verse 24, and this is Jesus talking to his disciples. And he says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What does that mean? It means Jesus is wearing the pants in this relationship. It means Jesus is the one calling the shots, not you. It means when you have an idea, you submit it to God and you pray, God, is this your will for me? With this speaking ministry I have, God and I have bargained and talked and I have said multiple times, God, if this isn't you, I don't want to go. I don't, I don't need to go. I'm very happy at home in my jammy pants by myself in my garden. Very, very happy. I don't need to go. But if it's you, I want to go. I want to do your will. So I just want to ask you, is Jesus your Lord? Is God your Adonai? So back to Genesis 12, verse 5, the second half. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. <laughs> they made it. They arrived. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Morah. So, Jim, if you can pull back up that slide of the ancient Near East. I know I probably just threw that on you, but I know you're amazing and you can do that for me. Because I want you to see... If we can change the shot. There we go. Okay, Haran is at the very top center. And then down to the left along the Mediterranean Sea, that trail, he went to Shechem. And that was in the land of Canaan. So that was another 400 miles. Now, can we pull up the Google Maps? Yes. Okay, so first we went to Savannah, from Savannah to Nashville. And then from Nashville to about Jackson, Mississippi is another 400 miles. And see, that's kind of got the same shape of Abram's journey. So you can see and have an idea. It's about 1,000 miles all together. So back to Genesis 12, verse 6, second half. It says, now the Canaanite was in, in the land. So Abram went to this place that was already occupied the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. So I had to do some research. You know, I understand what happened in the tabernacle. I understand what happened, the sacrifices made in the temple. But I wondered what Abram did at this altar. What did he do? He built an altar. In Old Testament times, an altar was a place of sacrifice, sacrificing animals or where incense was burned. It was a place where something was surrendered and burned up. In the same way, even as we make it to some of these stepping stones in our path, we have to continually surrender our ways, our rights. And most importantly, I think we have to surrender that pride. That's the thing. If you are in ministry, <laughs> pride will take you out. Pride will take you out. How could Abram have been proud? He could have said, God chose me. Like out of all the people of the world, God chose me. My daddy couldn't even do this. I did it. I showed them. My daddy couldn't even make it to Canaan, but I did. God is going to make me richer than I already am. And all this land, this is mine. Abram could have been proud. 
We have to stop and give God glory. We have to stop and acknowledge that anything we do is because of Him. Now, I, I've had to repeat to myself, because sometimes we have to repeat the truth to ourselves many times before we believe it, but I believe I am a gifted communicator because I've had enough people, mentors, say, you're a gifted communicator that I can believe it. But if I walk in here thinking, I got this, I am a gifted communicator. I am going to preach that thing like nobody's ever seen before. I'm just going to, you know, if I come in with my head all puffed up, I'm a gifted communicator in my CVS outfit, you know. We have to stop and acknowledge. Like on my way here, I said, God, every gift I have, you gave me. Every gift. If I can preach and if I can do the holy hush and bring it in small because that's what gifted communicators do. If I can do the gestures and project my voice and look at the camera. If I can do anything right on this stage, y'all, it's because of God. It's because of a gift. And he has given you gifts. And he wants to use your gifts. But when you start walking in your gifts, don't get a big head. Because pride goes before a fall. God resists the proud, God, uh, James 4, 6, NAS, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now this morning, because my back is hurting, I could not put my forehead to the Berber carpet and say, Jesus help me. So I just put on my devotional, Jesus help. I can't do this. Fill me Holy Spirit. Give me the words. I can't do it. That is how you have to walk in humility and prepare your heart. I can prepare my message. It's been prepared. But then if I don't prepare my heart, my words are empty. They are void. They are vacuous. They will accomplish nothing. You know, with my twins, I could get a big heart, because a big head, because people have said, oh, I so admire what you've done. It has not been me. It has been the grace of God in me. There have been some times I was exhausted. Been some rough times. And there's a quote that I like, and I've forgotten the source, but it says, and this is for me, my greatest enemy is pride, so my greatest friend is vulnerability. That's why I stand on the stage and let y'all know all my imperfections because I want you to see that God can use an imperfect vessel and it keeps me humble. Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2, and I used to know this as a song, but I'm not going to try to sing it. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where, there, where then is a house you could build for me? Where is a place that I may rest? And here's God sharing his sovereignty. He says, for my, ha my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being. And here's the, the important part. But to this one I will look. To him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. God is looking for the humble to work through. You may be that humble one. You may be the forgotten one. You may be the one who people said you would never amount to anything. You may be the one who didn't graduate from high school. You may be the one who has a learning disability. You are not disqualified from God using you. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble, contrite, trembles at my word. Thus says the Lord. So as you follow the story in Genesis, Abram goes through Shechem to Bethel to the um, southern Palestine, the Negev, and he was obedient along the way. He stopped and built altars along the way. Instead of complaining about where he wasn't, he gave thanks for where he was. He had a grateful heart. And I think this is so important in this time with the coronavirus to be grateful. I am sheltered in place at home, but I have a home that's peaceful. It's full of light and I've got all my fairy lights everywhere and my candles and my music. It's a peaceful place. I have water to drink. I have food to eat. I have electricity. I have Wi-Fi, which means I have Netflix and Hulu. <laughs> been watching the practice on Hulu. 
We have Amazon and Instacart, and my UPS driver knows my name. He calls me Lise. Hey, Lise. We have UPS. We have telemedicine. I have seen my therapist online. We have telemedicine. We have Zoom and Facebook and Skype and Marco Polo if you want to connect with people. But yet we complain. We complain. I have a, a lady that I email with. She lives in Kenya. She has orphans in her home in Kenya. And they're growing their own food. They have a home, they have internet and a garden. No doctors growing their own food, living day to day, and yet we complain. So I've been working on my attitude. It's not that I have to, but I get to. I get to do things, not that I have to. I, okay, here we go. God's speaking to me. I get to go to seminary. <laughs> not that I have to, but I get to. So Abram thanked God along the way. Just when he thought he had arrived and he was smack dab in the middle of God's will, obstacles. Genesis 12, there was famine, temporary exile in Egypt. Genesis 13, a dispute with Lot, his nephew. Genesis 14, there was regional war. But James 1, verses 2 to 3 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So even when we're walking in that calling, there's still going to be obstacles. And we don't have time to cover all of Abram's journey with the promised son, Genesis 15. Abram laughs at God. Then there's Hagar. He tries to fulfill God's word his own way. Genesis 17 is where his name was changed, and he laughed when God sent a son in his old age. So we see Abram in this journey of obedience, but it was not perfect. He lied. There were times when he laughed at God. It was not perfect. I call it a touch-and-go journey of obedience. But in Genesis 21, Isaac, the promised son, is born. So is this touch-and-go journey of obedience similar to yours? I have a Spanish tutor. He lives in Spain. We, we um, talk via Skype every week. Porque estoy aprendiendo español? Because I'm learning Spanish. And when you're talking to someone in another country that you're probably never going to meet, you're very free. We, we discuss politics, and I don't talk about politics with anybody. But one day I told him, I said, my belief about myself, I said, I'm not a woman of great faith. Like that is my belief about myself. And his response was, how long have you been a Christian? How long have you walked with God? And I said, since 1991. And he said, you, he said it in Spanish, of course, you can't walk with God for 29 years without great faith. Now, I may not have a perfect faith, but he convinced me I have faith. Just like Abram, the journey was not perfect, but Abram obeyed. So if the um, worship team, good, they're already coming up. They're on top of it. I want to look at how Abram's touch-and-go faith was remembered in the Bible. In the New Testament. Now, we see in the Old Testament, I love how in the Old Testament we see all the imperfections, like with Gideon and with David, we see all their imperfections. But in the New Testament, it's like there's this glowing report of who they were because God takes the surrendered heart and uses them. Romans 4. I'm going to start with verse 3 and skip to 18. For what does the Scripture say? And here he's quoting the Old Testament. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Verse 18. Now, we saw Abram laughed. We didn't go look at that scripture, but it should be on your handout. But verse 18, it says, In hope against hope he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall your descendants be. 
Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with, the res with respect to the promise of God, remember God has spoken to him, Genesis 12, 15, 17. He did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith. I love that. Even now, God can take my faith where it is, and I can grow strong in faith, and so can you. Giving glory to God, verse 21, and being fully assured... <laughs> And we saw Abram doubt and question, but it says, being fully assured that, that, that what God had promised, he was able to perform. Therefore, it was credited to him as righteousness. And then lastly, if you'll turn to Hebrews 11, and we're going to start with verse 8. And I, you, a preacher shouldn't say, and I'm wrapping up until they truly are wrapping up. So I do believe I truly am wrapping up. <laughs> I'm going to read this scripture and then we'll pray. Now, Hebrews 11 is a chapter all about faith. And I did the math because I can still do a little bit of low-level math. There's 40 verses about faith. Twelve of them are about Abram and Sarah. If I do the math correctly, 12 out of 40, okay, now I'm going to get confused, is 3 out of 10. That's 30%. Did I do that right? Pastor, 30%, 30%. So out of the whole Bible and everyone who walked in faith, one-third of this chapter is about Abram and Sarah, starting with verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeying by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, not knowing where he was going. I can relate to that. Verse 9, by faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. Verse 10, for he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Verse 11, by faith even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised. Sarah laughed too. I think that's what the name Isaac means. He laughs. Verse 12, therefore there was born even of one man and him as good as dead at that as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. So we see that Abraham had a touch-and-go journey of obedience. I think the important points are that God said, go forth, and he went. He was enabled by the supernatural power of God to obey. We are not on our own in this journey of obedience. He didn't settle where he was, but he took courage. It takes courage to step out in faith when God calls you. It takes a lot of courage. He stepped out and he obeyed. He acknowledged God along the way. He built altars. It wasn't perfect, but he's remembered in Scripture. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So as for you, where have you settled? Where has God called you and you've buried that calling because it got too hard? Where have you settled? Get up and go. God said, go forth. I'm telling you today, get up and go. Go forth. Take that first, I call them baby steps of obedience. You, you can't see where you're going, but you can take one step. Baby steps of obedience. Take the next step. Share that calling with someone. The devil wants to keep you seated on the couch eating potato chips, but God has called you to a place. So I'm going to pray for you now, and I just ask you to surrender that calling to the Lord, to put it on the altar, to surrender your life and your ways to the Lord so that he can take you on a touch-and-go journey of obedience just like Abram. God, we just thank you that those you call, you equip. I thank you that every person has a purpose, a calling. God, dreams in their heart, visions. God, I pray today that you would dig up the dreams that have been buried because it got too hard. God, that you would give courage and hope 
God, that you will help your people to walk to that place of Canaan, to that place of calling. God, that when the obstacles and the testing come, you will help. God, I pray you would give them a supernatural ability to obey that they don't have on their own to surrender. God, it's hard to give you anything, but God, you enable us by your Holy Spirit. From that very first time we surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ, you enabled us then, and you enable us now to surrender. So God, we surrender. We choose to surrender all to you. We ask that you would teach us your ways so that we might obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to close out the service with the last song. And I thank you so much for joining us today on the live stream. Please come back and visit us. Leave us a comment. Let us know that you are here today. We bless you and just worship with us as we close the service. Thank you so much. <laughs>